The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. We're going to be picking it up right where Pastor Kevin left off last Sunday. By the way, if you remember, um, Jesus just performed his first miracle that was recorded in the gospel of Luke. He did that by demonstrating his authority over the demonic realm, right? He came in there, he was teaching in a synagogue, and uh, he was casting out, you know, uh, he had victory and power over Satan. We see that at the beginning of this chapter, but then he cast out a demon from this one dude at the synagogue, and, and he healed the man uh, who, who was tormented by an unclean demon. That's right where we pick it up in verse 38, 39 of chapter 4. So let's look at that. It says, and he arose, he being Jesus, and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, pause. Simon is Peter, by the way, right? The apostle Peter. What did it say? Now Simon's what? Mother-in-law. It's very interesting to think about the fact, and if this means nothing to you, that's okay, but I know we have enough Catholic folks, or let's say... I say no longer Catholic folks coming out of that understanding of their presentation of their Bible to understand this, that they would say no priest should ever be married, particularly the Roman Catholic Church, right? And they would say that church was built on the apostle Peter. But here, Peter has a what? That's so weird. I have nothing else to say, except I, I just found that to be so strange. Do they, how do they get around that? I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to cause that problem for you. It was a problem for me. Um, and so there we go. Let's keep moving. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. All right. It appears as though Jesus has worked up quite an appetite, right? Teaching and preaching can do that to you. So, so he goes over to Simon's house. Simon, you know, they're like, come on, Jesus, you got to come over. My mother-in-law, she's cooking up some good grub. She don't feel real good. But let me tell you, she's, she's got some heat in the kitchen, right? Her fever's high, but so is the oven. You're going to love it. Come <laughs> eat with us, right? So the hometown hero, he heads over to Simon's house. And, and now listen, this was no doubt a big afternoon, but this was normative. This was very normative. They would get together on the Sabbath. They would enjoy the word of God together. Then they would feast. That's all we were seeking to do when we first landed here. But notice this poor girl, she's not feeling well, right? And so they plead with Jesus. My guess is they didn't have to plead too long. And Jesus rebukes the fever, and instantly the woman's healed. One minute, she's gripped by a fever. The next minute, she's healed, and she's up, and she's joyfully serving some grub. The only thing I would note on that is, notice her response to grace was gratitude. Right? That's it. I don't think there's much more. I think if you put too much more into that, like this is where churches get up there and say, so if the Lord has healed you from all your sin, you better serve. And guilt-driven motivation is never exciting. It's just never exciting. It's never exciting for long, right? Eventually, you just get burned out. Grace does bring about good works. It's a response. It's not to get love. It's because I understand, man, I've gotten some severe love in Christ. But notice this. There's no sacred or secular divide for Jesus. He didn't say, sorry about your luck, lady, but I'm off the clock. 
I know you don't feel good, but I just whipped up some cooking in the synagogue, and I'm a little tired. So could you bring me the soup? He doesn't say that at all. Instead, he lovingly heals the woman. By the way, what's, what do we learn there? Well, I think it's this. We see that Jesus lovingly works in public places. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's casting out demons. He's doing the work of a preacher. But he also meets the needs of private individuals. He's eating with them. He's loving them. He's healing them. He's getting to know them. They're getting to know him. Can you just see how unimpressive ministry really is? Man, I hope you see it. Because this is the good stuff. This really is the good stuff. To be able to just get together with people and love them. Love them with food. Pray for them. Love them. Visit them when they're not feeling well. But, but ministry, gospel ministry is, is, is pretty basic it's pretty basic if you're waiting for miracles to happen every day that probably will not happen but can i just tell you you can change somebody's life by having them into your home and loving them by seeing them by listening to them and so we see that here with jesus jesus has authority to cast out demons and he compassionately cares for ill mother-in-laws right is that you not casting out demons and healing ill mother-in-laws but what I do mean by that is, are you the same wherever you go? I mean, answer that. In your mind, in your heart, right now, do you seek to have consistency of life? Or are you a bright, shiny, happy person on Sunday morning? Hello! Oh, it's just so wonderful to see you. And on Wednesday, right? Is that you? If so, that kind of dualistic thinking, living, has caused so much harm to the gospel. I can tell you right now, I used to manage a, a company, and on Sundays when I used to have to work a lot of that, some of the guys and gals I was seeking to reach for the gospel would always note that they knew when church let out because people would just show up with their bling, right? And they looked like they were all dressed up, and they came in with a little bit of an attitude. Now, is that every Christian? No, actually, I don't think that's true of most. I actually don't think that's true of most. But it can happen. You can have that happen, that little religious undertone where if you think someone important is watching you, you'll be real careful to, to be on your mind and your P's and your Q's of how you're talking to them. But can I just tell you, you've never met an unimportant human being in your entire life. Ever. There's no such thing because every human being is made in God's image. Therefore, they have intrinsic value. Therefore, they are worthy of your respect and your kindness and your love. As a matter of fact, how you love the people that no one else knows about tells more about you than how you love anyone on a Sunday morning. And so, let's seek to have our lives line up. Line up. I'm the same on Wednesday. I'm the same on Thursday. When I'm not... Then I ask for forgiveness, and I seek to change, right? Because I think that's what we see here. And by the way, if you will do that long enough in any place at any time, you will leave a legacy because people will say, no, that guy's religion is real. That girl's religion is real. They see my family. They love my family. And when they blow it, they own it, right? So that's just a little side note. But let's keep looking at the text. Luke 4, 40 through 41. Now, when the sun was setting, 
all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. I bet they did. Just imagine. He's at the Sabbath, just casting out some demons. Homegirl's not feeling well. Oh, you, let's get rid of that fever, right? And so they've heard about this. The Sabbath is now over, and all of the sudden, it's like an episode of The Walking Dead. <laughs> Can you picture it? I mean, for real. They're like just coming. Like, they're all sick. They probably smell, right? And they're coming to Jesus. And notice, I'm not kidding, man. We clean up these things. But if you've got rotten appendages, it doesn't smell. There's enough nurses in this room that could testify to that. And, and that's what they're dealing with. And they've heard about Jesus. He has this authority. He has this power. We've got to get you to him. We've got to get you to this guy right? And notice it says, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. And the demons also came out, many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Man, apparently good news travels fast, right? Uh, the talk of the miracles were spreading all throughout the town of Jesus, right? And, and like impatient shoppers on Black Friday, which by the way, doesn't really exist anymore. Black Friday is like a, it's a season now. It's like two months, right? But there was a day where it started at like midnight. It was insanity. I remember working like 16 hours on that day. We would show up and like, do you ever see those little sucker fish up against the thing cleaning the, the, the fish bowl? <laughs> That's what they would be like on the glass. And they would be like shaking this thing, like, like, come on, open up. And like, what I knew is something they didn't know. Like we had one or two of the things that 47 people were there waiting for. It was going to be a bad day for me, right? Okay, well, as exciting as Black Friday is, it's not that exciting, right? We see that people here are pretty impatient as they come. The sun was setting. Sabbath is over. Jesus, the miracle guy, we got to get some people to him. And they want to be first in line. By the way, who can, who can blame them? Who can blame them? Uh, imagine... Uh, you have people in your life who are injured, who are ill, who are dying. They have cancer. You name it. I don't, I don't know what it is. And, and you've heard there's this man who has authority to bring healing. Wouldn't you do everything? Everything you could to bring them to this guy. No, no doubt every kind of disease was present, right? Raging fevers, cancers, degenerative diseases like MS, diabetes, rickets, the crippled, the blind, you name it, on and on. Some had to be carried, no doubt, drug in on a rug, whatever it took. You could probably hear them. You could probably smell them before you heard them. And here they come. And Jesus, how does he respond? Look at how he responds, by the way. Don't miss this. He responds to the suffering masses with compassion with kindness. Notice it says he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. No, that's not the case in every story of the gospel. There are times where he's like, no, sorry, got to roll. Well, what about me? Boy, it'd be bad to be the last person in line. You know, when they put the thing up on the ride, hey, sorry, you just missed the cutoff. That'd be terrible, but not here. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. That may not stand out to you, that may not stand out to most, but it's actually very unusual. Hands-on healing was not something that was ever discussed in the Old Testament, ever. As a matter of fact, they wouldn't touch them because then they would be unclean themselves. But here, 
you can see Jesus, the physician, he's, he's much different. Jesus is bringing much more than just healing of a physical thing here. As a matter of fact, he's no doubt healing hurts. Think about lepers. Lepers, we'll get into that next uh, couple weeks. Um, not lepers, like, right? But lepers, like walking dead, skin's falling off you. You have a skin disease, right? Nobody would touch them. Why? Because it was a skin disease. You'd be unclean. Jesus would touch them. He's healing so many things in this moment. Think about the kindness. Do you remember the isolation you felt from COVID? Well, now, being in, in a Jewish context with a disease that you were, you had laws. You, you, you had to stay away from people. You weren't allowed to go near. You didn't know what it felt like for someone to touch you, to care for you. And Jesus is breaking all those rules with love. And Luke knows it. Luke is a doctor, by the way. Um, and he knows things like this don't happen every day, right? <laughs> he, this is a special thing. He's amazed as he's, as he's recounting all of this, right? This is a real healing service, by the way. Real healing service. Not like the silly and even manipulative healing services that take advantage of very weak people that happen all over the place. Happen in Pittsburgh. I hear about them all the time. Desperate people flood in and they're waiting for the prophet up on the stage to do some kind of magical healing, right? And some reason it always costs them a little bit of money. Got to pay somebody and, and, you know, maybe you get healed. They ain't like that for this woman. Ain't like, she's got a fever, bam, healed. Okay, right now, she's serving, feeling better. Thank you, Jesus. This is way better than airborne, right? Every person who comes to Jesus, touched, healed. Nobody's guessing. Well, let's wait and see and see if it takes place. That's not what's happening here. Healing is a miracle, and when it happens, nobody guesses. Nobody guesses. You see it. You know it. It's verifiable. And so that's what's happening right here. It's an unforgettable night, no doubt, right? Every single person felt the tender touch of Jesus' hand on them as he lovingly healed them, even if it was just temporary. And all of their healing would have been just temporary unless they had come to faith in him. Let's keep looking. The story continues, Luke 4, 42 through 44. And when it was day, he departed, and he went to a desolate place. Side note. Jesus, who's fully human, fully God, spirit-filled man, needed to get away. Needed to get away. To think. We know from other gospel writers to pray. Luke will bring that up over and over. To recover. Probably take a little nap. To remember his mission. To spend some time with his father. He, he, he enjoyed some isolation. Now think about this. If Jesus, the God-man, the perfect God-man, needed some recovery time, then I think it's absolutely prideful to think that we can serve everyone. You're not Jesus. You all make horrible gods. Just embrace that. You're weak. I'm weak. You're limited. God's not limited. But, but Jesus in his human form, he, was, he needed a nap. He needed a sandwich. He needed a break. And our culture doesn't understand that. We think, man, oh man, if we're going to really love the Lord and we're going to glorify Him, we just got to keep running, running, running. We even make, <laughs> make silly little things like this. We say, oh, it's better to burn out than rust out. I think that's foolishness. It's better to do neither. 
right? It, it, it's, it doesn't glorify God to burn out, just loving everyone, right? You do what you can do, and, but don't confuse mission for busyness. Just don't, because then it'll be a dreadful thing. It'll be a dreadful thing. And, and really, what you need is you need to be served. What I need is I need to be served. And I don't mean necessarily just by you. I need the Lord to come and to meet me. That's why I got to get away. I, gotta go, I go for walks all the time. It's not just to keep this figure, although, right? It, it, it's just because in that moment, I can just get away and clear my head and pray and talk to my Father in heaven. And I can be reminded of his love so that I can actually minister out of the overflow of his love, right? I think we see that right here. But notice this, notice this. And the people sought him. So he's trying to get away, right? They got Life 360 on him, and here they come. And, and notice it says, and they would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, listen to this language, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. Why? Because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. All right. Talk about different responses. This has been a busy day for Jesus, right? Um, the people of Nazareth, they tried to chuck him off a cliff, right? But how about these people in Capernaum? They tried to hog tie him and chuck him in their church. We just don't want you to leave, right? One wants to kill him, one wants to keep him. But can I just tell you right now, their responses on the surface might look different, but the motivation behind these are very similar. They want a miracle man. They want a miracle man. Do some dog and pony tricks for me, Jesus. And Jesus said no to Nazareth. And they're like, well, then you ain't serving our purposes. Whew, you got a roll. He goes into Capernaum and he's doing the thing. And they're like, how about you just never leave? You could be like a genie in a bottle. Anytime I get a little fever, feel a little tickle in my throat, I'll just rub the thing and we'll do the thing and I'll feel better. How about it? And he's like, no, no, not at all. Why do I say that they're, they're, even on the surface, they might look very similar, but they're different. Their motivations are very similar. Well, here's why. Because we're going to learn as Jesus gets to the woe you section, Capernaum's in him. And he's going to be like, you wanted me, not so much for the things I've come for, but just for your own selfish desires, right? By the way, if you've spent any time laboring in gospel ministry, when I say that, I don't mean as a paid staffer. I hate that language. If you are in Christ, you're in gospel ministry. Whether you're effective or whether you're not, that's another story. But you're gospel ministers, period, right? And so if you spend any time in that, what you'll know is that that people who are struggling physically, struggling financially, relationally, mentally, emotionally, however you want to say it, will go to great lengths to get those problems resolved. People will break their necks and their pocketbooks to get to Jesus, you know, air quote Jesus, the physician, Jesus, the investor, Jesus, the counselor, but will barely lift a finger to actually know Jesus of the Bible. Because what they don't, many people don't want Jesus. They want a figment of their imagination of Jesus. They, they, I only want Jesus if you'll bring healing. I only want Jesus if he'll bring finances. I only want Jesus if he'll give me a spouse or give me a kid. You name it. I don't want the Jesus. 
I want the Jesus I want. And what's he look like? He looks just like this. That's idolatry. It's idolatry. By the way, apart from a divine work of grace, we all want somebody to fix our lives but, and save our souls but not rule our worlds. Right? That's me. I mean, I'll take Jesus if he'll get me some, some bank. I'll take Jesus if he'll get me, you know, you name it. Right? But, but so many times, if you love Jesus for who he is, I mean who he is truly, as revealed in the word of God, you didn't do that. You, you had a miracle happen in your heart. He, and I'm, we're going to get to that when we get to 2 Corinthians, the Spirit just opened your heart. He pulled back the veil to see that Jesus truly is treasure, that he truly is beautiful, and I want him. If that's happened to you, it's not because you're smart, it's not because you're slick, it's not because you grew up in any of those things. Those are all means. It's because the Holy Spirit of God said, look at him. And you saw him. And you believe. But too many times, man, we, we make the mistake of, of, of putting a Jesus up there that's not Jesus. He's one who will fix your life. right? He'll, he'll save your soul, but he's not, he's not ruler of your world. Thankfully, Jesus knows his mission. He knows his mission, and he desires so much more for sinful, sick humanity than they just temporarily feel a little better. He knows what we really need. He knows that we need real life. He knows that real life can't happen apart from God the Father. Jesus came that you might have life, have life abundantly. And life in abundance is life with the Father. And that's why he's come. Jesus came to make that a reality or a possibility for you to receive and to embrace the repentance and faith. Look at Jesus' response once again. And then we're just going to get to the couple points that we have. He says, I must, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For this, I was sent for this purpose. Jesus is a preacher. He's a preacher. And he came to preach the word. So point one, Jesus, full of the spirit, acts with power and authority in order to set captives free from demons and disease as a part of the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God. Let's think about that for a minute. And actually, let's spend the rest of our time together thinking about that phrase, right? I want to discuss the content of Jesus' preaching, the kingdom of God. As we go through the gospel of Luke, what you're going to see is you're, if you will pay attention, you'll see that, that phraseology everywhere. You should underline it. You should highlight it. It might be the kingdom of God. It might be the kingdom of the beloved son. It might be a kingdom of Jesus. But over and over and over, you're going to see that, I think, 32 times in the Gospel of Luke. So it's a pretty big deal, right? The theme of the kingdom is so significant. And because of that, we better make sure we know what it means. Because many times people will say kingdom of God and they actually don't know what it means. And I don't mean it to be rude. I didn't know what that meant for years. Well, we were like, we got to grow the kingdom. We would sing songs like that. But can I just tell you something? The kingdom is, ready? So here's the definition. God's sovereign rule and reign through God's people over God's place. That's what the kingdom is. That's what it is, right? We, we don't necessarily get this because we don't have a king. 
a democracy, and we have all these different things that I'm not going to get into today. Study your history, right? But a king is sovereign. He rules. He reigns, right? That's just what he is, okay? Well, the kingdom is the place where he rules and where he reigns. Jesus is the king. So the kingdom is God's sovereign rule and reign, right? He, he has all power. He has all authority. He tells stars when to fall. Birds aren't allowed to drop until he says. Do you think of God like that? Do you think of God having that kind of power? Because he does. Or he's not God. But listen, the kingdom of God is sovereign rule and reign through God's people over God's place. So that means that the kingdom actually has a past, present, and future reality. Past, present, future reality. Um, in Genesis 12, when God called Abram out uh, from pagan worship, he, he called him then Abraham, right? And he sent him out to where? He didn't know. He just by faith believed God. And what was he to do? He was actually going to start a great nation, okay? God's going to start a great nation through this very old couple, right? Don't have time to get into all those different things. But this nation was going to be a blessing to all the nations, okay? And so God's people would go about, and if you know the story of the Bible, much suffering, many things happen. And, and they would have, they wanted kings like everybody else, right? And so the first one they get was Saul, and he was a bad king really bad heart. Then you got David, let's say good heart, some bad decisions, right? And then you got Solomon, let's say he had a half a heart, okay? But here was the thing, none of them were God. So that was the past kingdom. And, and God's people, Israel, they're waiting for the king. They're waiting for the king to show. Well, here he shows up in this moment in Luke in a very present reality, but he's bringing a different kingdom than they actually understand. So right now, we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that. We're going to get to that point in Luke. But the kingdom is here. But it's not here in full. It's not here in perfect reality. Or there'd be no such thing as sin. There'd be no such thing as sickness. There will be a day when the king returns. And then he will set up shop and make all things new. But what I want you to know is you and I are not like building his kingdom. So many people get themselves in so many trouble. It, it just is. It's a reality. He's sovereign. He rules. He reigns. God's sovereign rule and reign just is. You don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. Well, I'll make him Lord of my life. He is Lord of your life. Whether you bend your knee to him is another story. But you don't make Jesus king. He is king. Humans do not bring in God's reign. We do not build God's kingdom. We do not speed up its process. We do not slow it down in its advance. It just happens. Here's the only decision you have. Sinners can only receive it and enter into it or reject it and await final judgment. That's it. That's it. Right? So important that we get this. It's important that, that the church recaptures this understanding of the good news of the kingdom. Um, and, and here's why. Because you've got to understand not only what you're saved from, but what you're saved to. There's such a, a misunderstanding of what we're saved to. So many times I think we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's like, what do we do? We just kind of wait around until what? I don't know. Jesus comes back, or I die. Okay. 
So what do I do in the meantime? Uh, play some video games and be nice. No, not at all. You can play video games and you should be nice. But you live for a lot more than that, right? And, and we don't have to guess. We don't have to guess. He's told us, as we go through Luke, you're going to see it. Not only are we saved from death, but we're saved for life. You're saved for life. You thought of that, right? We're, we're saved from shame, and we're saved for glory. Gosh, if you could just see yourself through the eyes of how your Father sees you in Christ. So many of the problems we experience would be gone. It's be gone. It's be gone, right? Because he sees you as beloved, as forgiven, as redeemed, as his. And he don't need you to do anything. But man, when you understand that, all I want to do is just serve and love out of gratitude. Out of gratitude for the grace you've given me, right? Um, we are saved from sin for following Jesus or for obeying Jesus, right? We're saved from the kingdom of darkness and for the kingdom of light, okay? Uh, Colossians 1.13 and 14 says this. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, so listen, you're not an American citizen first, or even primarily. You're not a Canadian citizen, right? We have a Canadian with us, and we love her. Even if you are taking one of my favorite people, that's, that's all right. We're excited to see you get out of here. Um, because we love you guys together, right? Here's the thing. You're a citizen of another kingdom, of another world. You have a king, and he has set up rules and regulations. Truth, grace, mercy, love, compassion, all these things, that's, that's the kingdom we're for. That's the kingdom we're for, right? And so we, we don't hold on to the things by our white knuckles. We say, Lord, if you have a different plan, help us to open our hands and embrace that. Help us to know that there's never been a place where the gospel has triumphed apart from sacrifice and apart from suffering. Is that the king you want? But when I ask that, I don't really care because that's the king you have. That's the king you have. The question is, is will you worship the king? Not the king of your imagination. Because Jesus is. Second point. And it's in the last one too, but that doesn't mean we're almost done. So don't get excited. To be saved or transferred into God's kingdom is to embrace God's comprehensive rule and reign over every aspect of your life. The king informs all decisions. The king informs all decisions. How I love my neighbor, how I love my spouse, how I raise my kid, how I do all these different things. By the way, this is a far cry from the watered-down version of what we hear most often in churches. I want to be careful not to pick too much, but asking Jesus into your heart. I get what they're saying, but it's, it's, it's pretty weak. And if you got, I'm not saying you didn't get saved that way. Because God works with 
crappy theology all the time. He just does. He works in crappy churches. Otherwise, we got no hope, right? We just do the best we can. If you're like, no, you guys are amazing. You give us time. We'll disappoint you. Well, I'm going to disappoint you quick and often. And the reason is because if you're only sticking around to have a perfect pastor leave today, because I can't fit the mold. Neither can Kevin, even though he's better than me. Right? That's a joke. I'm glad two of you got it. The rest of you really think he is. I'm like, oh, okay. I love Kevin, too. He's my favorite pastor. So, but, but, but get this. Get this. If Otherwise, what, what you're doing is you're really misunderstanding what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Because here's the deal. Being a citizen of the kingdom means a new life. It means a new identity. It means a new kingdom. No longer a citizen of America, although I'm thankful for America, and I am a citizen for anybody who might be listening. But I have a king, and I'm a citizen of that kingdom. And, and it supersedes this one, right? And so here's the beauty. This king is compassionate. He's courageous. He does everything to serve the best interest of his people, even when it hurts. And it does hurt at times, because if you've walked with him long enough, you have suffered. See, this kind of gospel, which, by the way, is the only gospel, is so unintelligible to people today. It really is, especially those in America. I feel like I'm always picking on America, but that's where I'm at. That's where I live. I love America, but the, so many times we've, we've, we have made the good news of the gospel in the church into an American thing, and it's not an American thing. Jesus is a Jewish man, right? But it's even out of this world, okay? So here's the deal. Why does that happen? Because I think it's our own selfish stories are so far removed from creation, fall, redemption, and making all things new upon Jesus's return. See, all too often, the focus is on me or I, right? Um, Like, what can Jesus do for me? We don't say that because we're a little slick, but we'll stare at our belly buttons, right? We'll look at the little bit of lint there. We'll try desperately to get God to, and others, right, to to make me happy according to my standards, because I think I know better than God. I think I could tell him what this thing looks like, right? And so we do that, But if we could catch a glimpse, I mean, just a glimpse of the the good news of what Christ has offered. He's offered you life with him as a co-laborer. And there is no greater joy than walking with your king who loves you. See, the nominal consumer Christian, um, nominal consumer Christian, boy, that's a lot. Um, Christian by word only and all about me. That's what that would mean, okay? Um, Has themselves at the center of the universe. It's, it's not gospel-centered. It's me-centered, right? It has God as their butler. You're here to serve me, God. If you understood how great I am, then you would give me all the things. But I'm just telling you right now, if that's you, you one of two things is happening. Either you've never come to taste and see that the Lord truly is good, because if, if you have, you're glad to be dethroned. You're just glad to be dethroned. Now, there will be times where you'll try to kick Jesus off the throne and sit back up there because you think you got it figured out. You don't, but that happens. In that moment, repent. Or you've never trusted in the good news of Jesus Christ. 
you've trusted in some other thing. And so it's never too late until it is, right? How does this happen, by the way? Why does it happen? Well, here's the thing. Because when God's word comes in power and the power of God's spirit accompanies it, we stop gazing at our navel and we start to gaze upward towards God and we trust him. That requires a miracle. That miracle comes through preaching. This is the last sentence of this text. is so captivating to me. Jesus says, I know it would be great if I hung out here. This is my version. That's why I don't write Bible translations. I know we, we could have just a place where none of us are sick, but there are people out there that are sin sick and they're dying and they're going to go to eternal punishment and I must go bring them good news. He's fulfilling Luke, right? In chapter three, I've come to bring freedom to the captives. I've come to bring all these different things. He's fulfilling that right here, right now. Preaching has fallen on hard times, by the way, right? It, it really has. Even in churches, so many churches, man, they just join Madonna. Papa, don't preach, right? You maybe don't know that one. That's okay. Or the silly mantra, right? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Pff, I hate that saying. Because there's no way to preach the gospel apart from words. You can't preach the gospel apart from words, right? But, but why, why is this kind of thinking prevalent even within churches? I'm going to tell you why. Simply because our natural self doesn't like to be told no. We, we don't like to be told what God thinks. We want to be God. This is why, by the way, we can embrace TED Talks or TikToks, right? Like I did that. Um, but not authoritative preaching. Don't tell me, Jesus. Don't tell me what to do. Who, who do you think you are? He's God. He has all authority. Well, he has the authority I give him. Wrong. Okay, so here's the deal then. Last point. I said it was the last one, but I was wrong. No words, no gospel, no love. I'm going to say it again. No words, no gospel, no love. Ugh, that's pretty rough. See, there's Christians who would struggle with that statement. But that just goes to show how far off we are from biblical thinking. I mean, seriously, listen to this. Uh, I was hanging out in our missional community group, and uh, Bridget said to me, man, two weeks ago when you're like, you know, how much must you hate somebody to not share the gospel with them? She's like, that cut me. Ugh, it was such really tough medicine to take in. And I was like, well, you do realize I got that from a quote. And, and she's like, no, I didn't know. So I read the quote there. But now you should all get that. And so here it is. It comes from <clears throat> an, an atheist called Penn Jillette. I don't care if you know who this guy is. He's a magician, part of Penn and Teller. Listen to what he says. He's an atheist. Okay. Here's what he said. I've always said that I don't respect, who don't, respect people who don't, I'm going to say, share the gospel right? Because that's really what he's saying, okay? I'm going to say it again. Atheist, listen to what he says. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't share the gospel. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, 
And you think that it's not really worth your time telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. An atheist who thinks people shouldn't share the gospel and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not share the gospel? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And by the way, don't go tackling people. And this is more important than that. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, if you really believe it, everybody brags about what they're excited about. Do you believe it? And I think you do. I think you do. Even if you don't share the gospel, I think you do. I think that you've just been so culturally conditioned to not open your mouth. You think it's more kind to not love. It's not, right? We, we don't love the world the way that Jesus loved the world if we don't share the gospel with them and call them to respond by repentance and faith. That's how Jesus loved the world. Well, I just want to love Jesus like the world. Like, like he loved the world. He loved them through preaching. You're like, well, I, I'm not a preacher. Preaching in the sense of sharing good news. Not just preaching pulpit. Like giving your life for the sake of love, sharing the good news. Make it a plan. If it takes a year, it's a year. But within a year, you should be able to bring some material to someone's life. I want to give you like little, a helpful little thing, two ways to live. It's a little track. If you need that, whatever, whatever. But can I just tell you right now, Jesus is still in the business of saving. His means of saving is through the proclamation of the gospel. Words. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. That's how he saves. Could he save in other ways? Yes. Yes, he's not limited. However, this is the means he's chosen. This is the means he's chosen. He, he could make a rock do it, but he didn't do that. He said, my people are going to do this. My people are going to do this. Why? Well, I think this text brings it all home. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 7. I'll walk you through it. We'll finish up and we'll continue in enjoying communion and singing. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 7 says this, therefore, and if you see that word in the Bible, you should say, what's it there for? Good job. So what it's there for is in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about this gospel ministry that he has. So he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. By the way, any ministry we have is by God's mercy. It's God's mercy. He don't owe you. He don't owe you anything. Actually, that's not true. Apart from God's saving grace, all he owes us is wrath. Everything beyond that's grace. Okay? But we have this ministry by the mercy of God. Therefore, we, we don't lose heart. The reason Paul is saying don't lose heart is because he's losing heart. If you're familiar with 2 Corinthians, he's ready to tap out. He's so at the end of his rope. But he's saying, he's reminding of himself, I have this mercy, this ministry by the mercy of God. Therefore, I'm not going to lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper with God's word. Tamper, tamper with God's word. 
But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Essentially, what he's saying is, Tupac sung all eyes on me, right? But what he's saying is gospel preachers and proclaimers, what they say is all eyes on Jesus. I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to change the word. What I'm going to say, what Paul is saying is, we're not changing it. This is the word. You must deal with it. Okay? That's what he's saying. And even if he's saying our gospel, our good news is veiled, covered up. You can't see it. You got blinders on. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this, by the way, don't, don't run past that sentence too quickly because if you have people in your life that you desperately love and have not trusted in Jesus Christ, that's a very hard sentence to read. That if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, meaning Satan, has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He says, because what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, he's going right, don't miss this, he's going right back to creation. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, those who believe, to give light light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, we who trust in Jesus Christ have this treasure. What's the treasure? The gospel, the gospel message in our heart, on our tongues, in jars of clay. By the way, people spend stupid money on clay things now. I don't understand it. It's expensive. It's a hobbit thing. Go get it. But if you had diamonds, my guess is you wouldn't put it in a cracked clay pot. If you would, put your diamonds in it and bring it to my house. A couple will fall out. He's saying you're not the impressive vessel. That's what he's saying. He's saying we have this treasure in cracked clay pots. Why? Notice to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. I'm just not impressive enough. You're not. Neither am I. I. I just don't know everything else that someone else knows. That's okay. Is God limited? Or can he, will he work with what you bring to the table? Just give what you got. Just give what you got. See, God has ordained that through the proclamation of Jesus Christ, some will have the veil lifted and they'll see light right? And things that did not exist, which is a heart that loves God, will be spoke into existence, right? God spoke creation into existence. And it's through the speaking of the gospel that people go from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He's ordained that it happens through the proclamation of the gospel. So you and I should faithfully seek to proclaim Jesus, desperately ask that the spirit would empower and awaken worship, Worship and see lives change. There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to do it. The kingdom message is counterintuitive. It's surprising. It goes against every grain of worldly thinking because this is unlike any other kingdom that the world has ever seen. See, Christ's kingdom is built on power. It's built on grace. It's built on, and advances with compassion, with love, with truth. 
That's his plan. In this kingdom, the throne is a cross. The throne is a cross, and the king reigns on it with self-giving love. Why would we not tell him? Why would we not tell him? We must preach. I'm going to read one more quote, and we're going to then enjoy communion. You might not get this, but John Piper, uh, he wrote a book, and in that book he had this little quote, and he said, the reason Jesus must preach is his father sent him to do just that. Good news is for proclamation. It's for heralding. It's, it's what an old-fashioned, old-town crier would do, right? And here's what he said. This is what it looks like when Jesus would go. Here he, by the way, he didn't say this, right? Here he, here he, here he. All rebels, insurgents, dissidents, protesters against the king. Hear the royal decree. A great day of reckoning is coming and a day of justice and vengeance. But now hear this, all inhabitants of the king's realm, amnesty is here within published by the mercy of your sovereign. A price has been paid, all debts may be forgiven, all rebellion absolved, all dishonor pardoned. Now none is excluded from this offer. Lay down your weapons of rebellion, kneel in submission, receive the royal amnesty as a gift of the imperial love. Swear loyalty to your sovereign and rise a free, happy subject of your king. This is what it looks like when Jesus comes preaching, right? What makes this news even more amazing, by the way, is that when you look at the price that was paid by the king, all other kings send their people into war to be killed, if need be, for their king and for that kingdom. Our king, Jesus, the true king, comes willingly. And he dies for his enemies in order to make enemies citizens of a kingdom that never ends. That's, that's the world upside down. It's the world upside down. This is your king. This is your king. Worship him. Enjoy him. Love him. Get to know him and celebrate him every day as long as it ends in day. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.